people and really just, I, I, I think it's just so evident that God is here today doing works in our lives. And I'm just excited to be in this place with, with you all this morning. And we could go home now and already be a win, a big, big win. But we're not going home yet, so it's going to get even bigger. Uh, ditto everything that's been said about Men's Encounter. We're just believing for 20-plus guys to go to Men's Encounter and be rocked. And so come and invite your friends, too, because this is for, for anybody to come as well. So, yes, we're kicking off this What is Truth message theme the month of October. I don't know that there's ever been a time in history where it's been as confusing to know what's true and what's not true, what's real and what's not real, what's trustworthy and what's propaganda, and you know, from all sources, from, you know, from religious ideas, from cultural ideas, uh, Julia talked about the questions of identity, so appreciate that testimony for her. And I mean, just that's a, the questions of who am I. It's never been attacked at a like, more fundamental level in our, than it is in the culture today, where it's even just questions of male, female, what's, what's up, what's down. I mean, it's, we live in a world with no moorings, very little moorings for, for many people, and our, our culture is so adrift. And so in the midst of that, we're, you know, we, it's, it's, God wants us to, to know the truth and to live lives based on truth. And so this month we're going to be looking at, today's going to be very foundational, looking at how, you know, how can you know what is true, really looking at the most important question that we have to figure out first. And, but over this month we're going to look at deception, propaganda, we're going to look at cultural issues, we're going to look at not only knowing the truth, but living the truth and proclaiming the truth. So I just, I, I think this is going to be very important for all of us. Um, this, you know, the, the world we live in has been described as, as the postmodern philosophy. And postmodernism, one of the tenets of postmodernism is that you can't know truth and that all, proje- all uh, projections of truth are just that, projections. Or that if someone says this is true, that's really not about some objective, absolute truth outside of them, but that's just a power move. It's actually just like saying, well, this, they're using what they say is true to get what they want and to try to gain power over all other people. Um, and in case you didn't know, that does happen, okay? Like, we do that. Uh, other people do that. Governments do that. Businesses do that. They're, like, you can use the truth, so to speak, to try to get what you want. And so, but postmodernism would say that that's, that's all there is. Any claims to truth is just a power move. And it really goes back to, um, I mean, all sorts of places, but it became big in the West, the roots of this in the 1940s, 1950s with the rise of existentialism, which basically threw out the idea of God, religion, and said, you know, you can't really know truth. You just got to like live in the moment and experience your own truth you got to make your own truth. It's not about the truth, capital T, but it's about your truth. And that, that vocabulary has become just so part of our culture. You know, your truth, my truth, your truth. It actually like, discredits the whole idea of truth if it's just my truth and your truth. It's just like, what's the difference between my opinion and your opinion? It's just like my strongly held opinion and your strongly held opinion. But those ideas are so pervasive in our culture. And so 
we're, uh, I just want to lay kind of a few foundations um, as our presuppositions. Our, as, a, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, this is what, what we believe to be true. And, and I'm not going to be able to go in and, you know, spend hours defending this, but just to kind of lay it out, it's like these are foundational truths. So the truth is that there is an objective truth. The truth is that there is an objective truth. There is a reality. We actually, you know, there is, it's not just my opinion, your opinion, my feelings, your feelings, but there is a reality, whether we like it or not. I heard someone say once who, who, who was Indian, who grew up in India, which is you know, the mother of all moral relativism. And, you know, oh, we've got a, literally a million gods, and but really many of the ideas in our culture of, of moral relativism and relativistic truth comes from India. But he said, you know, even in India, before you cross the road, you look left and you look right, because if there's a car coming and it hits you, you will die. It doesn't matter what your truth is or what you think. Like, there is a reality. And so, it's a matter of shaping your life to fit with reality, not just some projection from, from your head. Um, so, there is an objective truth. Second foundation is that God, there's a book by this title years ago, but it really says it well. God doesn't believe in atheists. God doesn't believe in atheists, all right? So we can spend hours debating, and it, oh, how do you prove God? What are the proofs of God? But actually, everyone knows that there is a God. God doesn't believe in atheists. In Romans 1, um, verses 19 and 20, let's just read it here. We're t For what can be known about God is plain to everyone, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So the reality is, is that God has given what's known in theological terms as general revelation. There is general revelation that's been made known to every human being that when you, when you see the world, it's evidence of a creator. And it's evidence that he is really powerful. And he is beyond us. He's, he's divine. And this passage also goes on and talks about our conscience, that we have a sense of right and wrong that points to a, a moral God and a moral reality. Um, yeah, God, God doesn't believe in atheists. And so that, uh, that's just important to realize, that there's... You know, we may deceive ourselves, we may convince ourselves, but there is a fundamental awareness that every human being has. If you see this, this music stand here, sitting here, if you just like walked, if you're walking on the Kanza Trail and you saw this music stand sitting there, if you tried to convince someone that you believed that forces of nature acted upon each other in such a way that there were strong winds and they blew and then you know, iron came out of the ground and it somehow fashioned this music stand by itself and was on the prairie. People would all say you're an idiot to believe that. This is a very small level of complexity in design. To see the universe, to see the human nose, to see 
ecosystems to, to believe that that just happened, let alone like where did those materials come from? You know, that's, everyone knows there's, it is imprinted in the heart of every human being that there is a creator. And, I, and, and uh, many, you know, people who start out as materialists, the best science, scientists who, who start with the materialistic worldview, as they are honestly considering things, they end up believing in a creator God. So God doesn't believe in atheists. Um, next presupposition is that God's word is true. God's word is true. How do we know what is true? Well, what if God, who's beyond us, wrote a book? What if he told us what was true about himself? And then he gave it to us so that we could know him. Wow, that would be an amazing way for us to get to know the creator of the universe. And that is, in fact, what he has done. God's, God's word is true. Psalm 119, uh, verse 160 says, that all your words are true, all your righteous laws are eternal. And so we have the incredible gift of, of God's word coming to us, being completely true. Now, some of it easier to understand than other parts, but all of it is true. And then the, our last presupposition here is that Jesus is the truth. And this is really the radical thing of, of, our, of Christianity, is that truth is not just an idea, it's not just a proposition, but truth is a person. Jesus said, we read in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so, if we want to know ultimate reality, the God who created everything actually took on humanity, took on an earth suit, became a person, and lived among us to reveal what is true. Not only who God is, but morality, God's ways, the ultimate truth of the universe is embodied in the person of Jesus. And so, that's, those are some presuppositions. If that leads us to our title today is knowability. How, like K-N-O-W, ability. How can you know the truth? Can you know the truth? And if so, how? And um, we're, because of the last thing I just said about Jesus being the truth, we're going to focus on this today, is that how can we know Jesus as the truth. Because we want to be able to, it's, God wants us to have a biblical worldview, a, a true worldview, that we can, we can read the newspaper and we can discern between what is true and what is false. We can read scientific studies and discern between what is true and what is false. We can evaluate cultural issues and know what's true and what's false. We can engage in, in relationships with our friends and know what's true and what's false. We can assess our own lives and figure out, oh, that's, that's what I've been thinking is not true. That's false. We, and we're going to go into all that this month. But the starting point is knowing the truth, Jesus. And we're going to look at an example of someone who had an incredible opportunity. Actually, the, the, the originator of this phrase that our series is, is titled, What is Truth?, he uh, made that phrase famous. He was face-to-face -face with Jesus in a very opportune time to know the truth, but he missed it. He did not respond well to the truth. And this person is Pilate, the Roman governor of Palestine at the time of Jesus, who was actually the one who gave the, the verdict to have him crucified, to have him executed. And so 
it's a really fascinating encounter when you read Pilate's interactions with the truth. And he was basically, you know, evaluating, am I going to believe, am I going to come to realize the truth or not? And he didn't. And so we have the benefit, not just of making fun of Pilate, because, you know, a really tragic individual, actually, um, but to see, like, wow, I have a lot of those tendencies in myself. And I, I, can, I can be like that myself. Um, I was, you can learn a lot from someone pointing out the places where you're missing it. I was, uh, I don't like golf, all right? I'm, I'm not a golfer. You can, I got a membership at the Wildcat Creek Fitness Center back in March. Um, and you get unlimited free golf on their course and driving range. And you think, like, if I had any interest in golf, I would have used it before last Monday, but I hadn't, okay? But Jesse loves golf, and I love Jesse, and so we, we, we decided to play golf together. I mean, he was playing golf. I was doing something else, okay? I don't know what it is. But after, like, I don't know, my second or third drive off the tee, Jesse looked at me and said, hey, um, remember, keep your head down when you swing through. And I was like, oh yeah, I've heard that somewhere before. I didn't realize I wasn't doing that. And my, you know, I wasn't that good, but it was better after I saw what I was missing and adjusted my approach. And really that's what we want to do with Pilot is we see like there are just, there are like so many ways that he misses it. We're going to look at what he did and go, oh, don't do that. Oh, maybe I do that. And the other thing I want us to see, too, is that these are practical, but it's also to not see the truth. The reason you don't see the truth is the Bible says it's because we're blind. Okay, so it's not just that, like, you know, I don't know, it's not obvious, but it, it is obvious, but we're blind. And so some of the blindness is because we're like this. Like, I, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. Well, like, we're doing stuff, we're putting our own hands in front of our eyes, and we can't see it. A lot of it is we have like spiritual cataracts, like levels of cataracts built up of, of sin and selfishness and just cultural confusion and things we picked up growing up in our family and all these are things that are wound in, that are built into our souls that are like layers after layers after layers of cataracts. And so as we see it, some of you may be like, oh, some of these things are going to be like, oh, I got that. I do that. So part of it is saying, okay, I don't want, Lord, help me not to do that. But it's also, God, would you do a work? And would you remove those cataracts off my eyes and help me to see the truth? That makes sense? Okay. So how, so we're going to look at how to miss it, like Pilate. We're, um, the second half of this, how to get it, we're going to save most of that for our community groups this week. All right, so it's going to be, we're going to look at the life of Peter, actually, someone who didn't miss it, someone who got it, who interacted with the truth and had a revelation of who Jesus was and built his life upon that and proclaimed it. Um, so uh, you're going to have to come to community groups to really dig into that part. But we're going to get a lot out of, um, out, of, out of Pilate here. So John 18, God help us. Verse 28, Jesus is here on trial before the, the Roman governor. Verse 28, then, and it's, it's actually, we're going to get a few other people who were, who were not, 
who were missing the truth too in this story. Then the Jews, and really this is the Jewish religious leaders, they were missing it too. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? It, it really hit me as I was reading this this past week how ironic this is that these Jewish leaders are about to commit literally the most grievous evil in all of human history. They're about to kill God. They're about to turn over Jesus, to, to, to have him executed, to have him crucified. Nothing, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. They, they are going to kill God. And then what are they concerned about? They're concerned about not violating their religious rules. And they're like, well, we got these rules, and we got to like, stay ceremonial clean. And, oh, you know, the Romans, they're bad. We, we're good. Romans bad. And so we got these rules. It's not even really based on the Bible. There were rules of, clean, of being ceremonially clean in the Old Testament. But there's not even a clear rule that, that is biblical here. It's just kind of their man-made traditions that have been added to it. But they, they built up this sense of like, oh, well, you know, the, the Romans, we got to stay away from them. We, you know, if they touch us, you know, we're, we're, we're tainted by that. And so we have to stay in our nice religious Jewish world here. Um, but we need the Romans to kill Jesus, so let's, let, let's work this out. Um, they wanted to celebrate the Passover, which the Passover was the, the, the celebration of God leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and there was a lamb that was killed, and then his blood was put on the doorstep of the Israelites, and they were trusting that, that God's, the angel of God would pass over their house and cover over their sins, when they had the blood of the lamb. And they were literally about to crucify the actual Passover lamb. But they've got these religious traditions that they think they're good because they're in this, this religion. And religious tradition, religious, you know, being fixated on religious externals can be a thing that causes us to miss the truth. And I don't know if you've been part of this, but I've been part of conversations. I talk to someone, oh, do you, are you, do you believe in God? Can we have a conversation about that? Or what do you think about where I'm talking to someone about an issue in their life? And their response is, oh, I'm Catholic. Like, okay, that's good, but what about the reality here that we're dealing with? Or, you know, I just pick on the Catholics, but it could be name, name the religion. You know, it's like, but the thing is, like, my, it's this religious external that I'm focused on that. And I'm actually, that is keeping me from the reality of a relationship with God and living for him and following him. So being fixated on religious externals is the first way to miss it. Uh, skipping ahead to verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned, the, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? I love how Jesus, like, Jesus, he always 
ask us, where are you? Not, where is that person? Or what do they say about me? What do they believe? But what do you believe? And so here Jesus is doing that with Pilate. He's like, okay, they, you heard that, but what about you? Where do you stand on this matter? That's what really matters. And Pilate didn't know how much it mattered, actually. But that's what Jesus does with us. See, where are you? Verse 35. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? The second way to miss the truth is defensiveness and avoidance. Defensiveness and avoidance. When someone's asking us, hey, did you do that? And our heart starts beating faster, and we quickly respond with a raised voice, and we turn it to them, then there may be some defensiveness going on. And that might be a sign that we're not really dealing with the truth. There may be some avoidance where we're turning, this, turning the subject around to make it not about us and where we're at, but about something else. Um, I know, when I get testy, when I quickly respond, like in a testy matter, that is a pretty good indicator that I'm not really in a good place of really wanting the truth in my life. And uh, that's, that's how we all are. So avoidance and defensiveness. Anyone else do that? You guys are quiet this morning. Gotta... You've got to enjoy this a little bit, all right? I mean, Pilate, we can, he's, he's, it's sad, but we can have fun as we read the story, actually. All right, verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. I don't think that's quite the tone. It's like, what is truth? Is Jesus is giving, Jesus is telling him the truth. Like, hey, the, you have your opportunity to come into the truth. And if you want the truth, listen to me. And Pilate change, tries to misdirect again. And this type of misdirection is what I'm calling using philosophy as a smokescreen. Alright, Jesus is saying, hey, just listen to my words and do what I say. That's what it boils down to. But Pilate gets all philosophical on him. And that's what happens so often. That's what we do. That's what other people do. Jesse and I, again, we were a couple of days ago talking to a friend of ours who we've been talking to about God. And it's like, really, God's reaching out to this friend of ours. Like, we met him. It's just, you know, pretty evident to us. This is a divine encounter. God's reaching out to this guy. It's a time in his life. Like, if he doesn't respond soon, I don't know if, he, if it's going to, like, this is kind of his opportunity. And we were talking a couple of days ago. And... And he starts bringing up philosophical issues. You know, he starts bringing up the sovereignty of God and man's free will. And like, well, yeah, but ultimately, like, you know, God knows everything. And so if he wants me to follow him, like, then he'll make it. If, if I don't follow him, then that was his choice, not mine. And so we're like, wait, so if it was, 
why are you, you're saying you're choosing to not follow God, you're, that's God's choice, why don't you choose to follow him and let that be God's choice? Like, he's like this, just weird, you know, weird philosophy people do all the time, and it's like we're so, so convincing in our own minds, but it's actually so silly, but philosophy is so often can be a smokescreen for actually getting to the reality of, of truth. Philosophy, we're in a university town, I mean, there's so much of that happening, so much philosophy is really designed to take people away from believing the truth. Okay, we'll keep going here. Um, another thing that happened next, we're gonna, from the Matthew account, they're kind of, both John and Matthew tell different details here. Um, in Matthew, we read, Matthew 27, 19, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, this is Pilate, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Wow. I doubt that this happened every day. But Pilate's like at work, hearing this case, and his wife sends a message. And she's so troubled. She had a bad, bad, bad dream that, about Jesus and about what was going on. And she was so troubled by it that she sent a message to Pilate like, look, don't do anything to hurt him. Don't, don't convict him. Don't, don't. I, 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 man, I'm very troubled. Like, you know, she was just, in, there was a spiritual sign that she had that was indicating the truth. And then there was a spiritual sign that, that Pilate had through his wife. And so the next way to avoid, the next way to miss the truth is to ignore the signs. Ignore the signs. There's so many signs that God gives us that it's easy for us to just kind of ignore them and not pay attention to them. And I found that when I, a question I like to ask people is, hey, have you ever had any spiritual experiences? Have you ever like, felt God's presence or f- interacted with an evil entity, some sort of evil spirit or presence? It's crazy to me like, how many people who don't believe in God, they say they don't believe in God, but when I ask them that question, they have a story. Like, they have a pretty real sign of something that they've experienced. But they've ignored the sign. They've not listened to it. There's so many, so many signs God gives us. Um, but if we ignore them, it, it doesn't help. All right, John 19, moving ahead to the next chapter, verse, verse 4. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I bring him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And we didn't read it all, the whole story, but before they, um, they put the, the robe on him and the crown on him, they, 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 put a, they put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head, and they put a purple robe on him, and they, were, they mocked him. And they said, hey, hail, king of the Jews. You're the king of the Jews. And they, like, poked him in the back and said, prophesy, who hit you? And they were, they were mocking the truth. They were mocking Jesus. The next way that Pilate missed the truth, and that we... And others miss the truth is by, um, is, wait, is that this one? 
Got it wrong in my notes. What did it say up there? What's the next one? Yeah, don't take Jesus seriously. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. I don't know where I'm at. That's, don't, that's not taking Jesus seriously. Man, all over the place. Yeah, so that's, you know, interacting with Jesus, knowing about Jesus, but not really considering who is this man? Who is he? You know, the famous, the famous uh, truth, George MacDonald originally said it, C.S. Lewis made it famous, is that you can't, most, a lot of people like to say that Jesus it was a good moral teacher or a prophet. But that's not really a, you know, because if you look at the life of Jesus, it's like, man, okay, he did a, obviously he did a lot of good. He seems like a good man. But McDonald and then C.S. Lewis said, you, that is not an option because Jesus claimed to be God. A good moral teacher does not claim to be God. That is not a good person unless they are. And so Jesus is either a liar, someone who claimed to be God, but obviously wasn't, because, you know, that's crazy, unless you are. He was a liar. He was a lunatic. He thought he was God, and so he said it, but, you know, that's not someone you should believe in. He's a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And so, but so many people in our world, like, they, they don't really, like, take Jesus seriously enough to consider that. Okay, what am I going to do? This man claimed to be God. He said he was going to die for the sins of the world and then rise again. And then there's this whole movement of a billion people in the world plus who believe that he died for the sins of the world and then rose again. What am I going to do with that? What do I do with Jesus? Who is he? What do I believe about him? And so it's not taking Jesus seriously or say mentally believing those things, but not really surrendering to him as the Lord of our life. Um, so that's not taking Jesus seriously. Okay, thanks for walking through my confusion here. Um, the next one was ignore your inner conviction. That was the, the verse I just read. But Pilate, you can see, like he's, like, he's not at peace with executing Jesus. Like, he's trying to talk the Jews into letting him off. He, like, he doesn't feel good about this. He's, his conscience is bothered. But in the end, he turns Jesus over. Because he lets something besides his conscience be what's, be what's leading him on. Okay. Uh, try to dig myself out of here now. Where are we? All right, verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. The next thing Pilate does is he overvalues the approval of others. He overvalues his job. And he overvalues his hide. He overvalues his life. He doesn't really, you know, he's, his, his conscience is bothered. He doesn't want to do it. But then the Jews are like, hey, if you don't do this, you're no friend of Caesar. He's claiming to be Caesar. He's claiming, claiming to be king. And so, man, you're not going to be approved of if you do this. And it veiled in that as a threat. Like, look, if you're not dealing with the, the rival king then your place in this kingdom, like, you're, you're going to be sacked. You're, you'll probably be fired. And so, and then, you know, his life. He's overvaluing his life. He's trying to preserve his life, what he can seize of his life. And so because of that, he, he misses the truth. And, you know, that's so easy. So often, like, we, we know what's true. But because of what people around us think, we, we don't go with what's true. 
but we go with the approval of others. Now, there are a lot of people, and we're going to get into these, some, of the, some of these issues, but there are a lot of people in the last two years who didn't believe that wearing a mask was going to protect their grandma or the people around them based on their evaluation of the data, but they wore a mask because of the approval of others and the fear of being disproved. There were a lot of people who didn't think that getting a COVID shot was in their best interest or that it made sense, but it was a condition for employment, and so they got the shot. And these are the type of issues, like they were overvaluing their job, I would say, over truth. There, and that, where are we willing, where are we willing to take stands based on what we believe is true? All right, we'll get into more of that later. So come back, come back next week. Um, and then verse 13 through 16. Uh, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was a day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the next way to miss the truth is to delay. Pilate was, he didn't, a lot of what was in him didn't want to crucify Jesus. He, so he tried to delay. He tried to delay. He tried to stall. He tried to push. He tried to hope that circumstances would change, and his audience that he could, he could, they would change their mind. That if he just waited it out long enough, that it would work out. Now Jesse, my friend, when we talked to him the other day, he said, "Well, you know, I think I might, I might follow God, but I think I'll do it like right before I die." <laughs> Bob Dylan said. In one of his songs, he said, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. It's very true that the decision not to decide, delaying, is making a choice. And so, it's so easy, it's like, push things off, push things off, push things off. But in the end, Pilate, that was the choice that he was making, and that was the choice that he made. And so, man, one of the best things i found in life is like, okay, just... The, the decisions that are just like taking mental space and emotional space in my life, I don't know what to do. It's like, okay, just sit down, take 10 minutes, and make a stinking decision. <laughs> like, it's crazy how much that helps. Like, how much that frees up, like, to come to a decision. So, anyway, that's kind of related, sort of. Um, but delay, delaying um, keeps us from, from the truth. Um, and then finally... The last thing we're going to look at, in, in Matthew 27:24, this is probably the most famous part of this interaction, we read that when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Not very logical, right? Well, he's the governor. He's the one making this decision. So he makes the decision, but then he does this like, the Jews had their ceremonial washings. He did his ceremonial washing. Like, all right, I'm washing my hands. You know, this isn't me, this is you. 
So the last way that we try to, we miss the truth is we try to have it both ways. We try to have it both ways. We try to be one foot in, one foot out. We try to like, we try to, you know, not, not go against Jesus, but we're not really willing to be for him at the same time. Jesus said that if you're not with me, you're against me. And we oftentimes try to, try to have it both ways as well. But it's either all in or all out. We, we, can't have, we miss the truth. When we try to compromise and have it both ways, we, we inevitably miss the truth. So, um, lots of ways to miss it. I, I'm not, we're not doing this this morning just to bag on Pilate. Kind of an easy target. But because if we're honest, we're like, man, I do that. <laughs> man, ooh, ouch, that's so natural. That's so natural. And to realize, like, wow, when I, my avoidance, my defensiveness, my trying to have it both ways, like, every time I'm living in that place, I'm not in the truth. I'm missing the truth. We're going to look um, at community groups, at campus meeting, about Peter and someone who, who didn't miss the truth, someone who got the truth. Um, I want to just end with one example from someone I know who models this well, someone who is not like Pilate. And this is a friend of, of Tori and Jesse and mine, um, named, and he's someone who our, our church partners with. His name is Si Chung Lin, and he is now works as a missionary um, to the underground church in China. But when we met him, he was an undergraduate electrical engineering student in his last semester of undergrad, and he met some Christians on campus, and I remember talking to him, and he grew up in an atheistic worldview and an animistic, like spirit worship and Buddhism kind of influences in his life. Um, but early on, he said this statement. He said, you know, if I would ever find the truth, I would follow it. And Sichan was a very quiet, very, very quiet guy. Um, he was... He was, uh, he was an, engineer, an electrical engineer, so like, he fit the mold, uh, like a quiet, brilliant, but not a, not a people person very much, not an outgoing person for sure. But Si Chung, just, there was something in his heart that was like, man, I want to know the truth. And even his, like, his interest in science was about, like, man, I want to get to the bottom of what's real, what is true. And so Si Chung started just like coming around with other with Christians. He started like uh, doing a Bible study, uh, learning a little bit about the more about the Bible. He started coming to church. And after a couple months, remember we asked Si Chung, like, Si Chung, someone asked him. I remember someone asked him, Si Chung, are you a Christian? And he said, Not yet. <laughs> it was really interesting. It was like. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but you could tell like something was happening. And then, not too long after that, he was at church on a Sunday morning, and there was a song, and just um, this, the words of the song was, um, as I come to worship, I know that there is more of you than what I've seen or known. And then it says, I lift up my hands to you. And Si Chung just he came to that place where he experienced God's presence and he said, you know what? I'm ready. And he 
lifted up his hands to God. And that was his moment, like right there. A Sunday morning, like he put his faith in Jesus. And like later that day, he, he got baptized, he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he, he had some spiritual um, spirits that had been connected with his life from the past, came out of him. It was just like he was all in once he got to that place. But it all started with he was, hey, if I would find the truth, if, if I could come across the truth, I would follow it. And that began a process of him just becoming a disciple of Jesus and learning and growing. And he got his master's degree in electrical engineering, but then he decided, like, I want to become a, I want to work with international students to help them come to know God. And he did, did that for a couple of years. And then he just threw it, he was like, God, where, what do you want me to do with my life? And series of events, there was this opportunity in China where there was a ministry that was training Christian leaders in the underground house church movement of China. And they needed help to get systematic leadership training and theological training to the church in China. And he, was, he said yes, and he was the right fit, and he moved to China. And over the last, like, 14 years, I lose track. But this, like, quiet, shy, not extroverted person was a part of training. The people, he trained people who trained people who trained people, and it's in the millions of leaders of the church in China that he's helped to bring the truth to that nation. And it all started with him just saying, hey, if there's a truth, like, I'm going to do whatever I can do to, to find the truth and let it shape me. And not stiff arm it, not avoidance, but I want to find the truth and I want it to shape my life and change my life. And so, you know, that is the same sort of story that God invites all of us into. And the same sort of heart that he wants us to have. To be like, man, if there's a truth, if there's a God, like that's the ultimate. That is what I'm here for. That's what I want to live for. That's what I want to uncover more and more and more of. And then I want to be a voice for the truth and, and be a part of what God is doing in the world. So may we have that heart. May each and every one of us in that room have that kind of heart to be like, man, I want to know the truth. I want to let it shape me. I want to let it change me. I want to let it take cataracts off my eyes. I want to let it change my lifestyle and my habits and my ways of feeling and thinking. And then I want to be a part of bringing that truth into this topsy-turvy world that's all around us. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are the truth, that you've made your truth available. You brought it close. And it changes everything. And God, I, I just asked this morning that where, where you've put your, your finger on areas of our hearts, of we're missing it because of this. We're only going so far because of that. Lord, um, as we're wanting to, to turn away from that, we trust you to help us and lead us into your truth. God, help us to experience your truth, to be set free, and to bring your truth into the world. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.